Uh, welcome, Destiny Church. Welcome to Fat Tuesday. Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin. Uh, I just want to welcome you guys. I want to thank uh, Pastor Daisy for the opportunity and, uh, uh, you know, the, the privilege of just being here today, uh, as well as Pastor DJ. So I'm really, really thankful to both of you. Uh, and I'm really excited about today. I have a, a word. It's going to be a short word, but hopefully short anyways, uh, but powerful. So uh, something that God's been uh, speaking to me a little bit about. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kick it off. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Father God, thank you for your love, for your mercy. Father God, we thank you for your word, God, that never fails. God, I thank you, Father. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. And I ask, God, that you would help me deliver this message, Father God, that it would land on all the ears I need to hear it, God, and that it would penetrate their hearts, God. And Father, I ask that you allow me to speak with a, a heart full of love, God, that I may be able to communicate this as best as I can, Father. And so I thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And I bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, let's get started. I hope everybody's been doing good. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Pastor DJ did announce uh, that uh, July 8th, we will be having, you know, full live services again. Uh, and so we're really, really excited about that. Uh, for Fat Tuesday, that'll be a July 7th, okay? So we're, again, like I said, we're excited. I know Pastor Daisy's excited to have all of you in here, uh, as well as the whole entire staff. All right, so uh, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background of why I am teaching what I'm teaching today. So today I'm talking about um, we're going to be reading out of Luke 15, okay, Luke 15, uh, verse 11, if you're uh, taking notes. Chapter 15, verse 11. Uh, and so, as I was preparing for this message, uh, I, had, this, I actually, actually had watched something in my Bible plan or read something, and, and it just struck me. And so I started, of course, you know, I, I have to dig in. I have to look into it. And so I'm starting to read, and I've started to dig in. Uh, and I found something really, really interesting about the prodigal son. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11, is a story about the prodigal son. And what is so amazing to me is that the story is about two sons. And so we're going to read that real quick. Let's go ahead and read verse 11. Uh, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, okay? So it might be a little different than what you're reading, but I promise you it's the same thing. Uh, verse 11 says, Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. I'm going to stop right there, okay? So first sentence from, you know, from the jump, as they say, it says two sons. Now, this is interesting because when you Google it, you know, if you ever, I'm sure there's a lot of people that Google out there. So if you Google the prodigal son, it's all about, like everything that pops up is, it's all about like the son that gets redeemed. Like it's all about the son that gets redeemed, the son that gets redeemed, which is awesome. And, you know, it, it, the story does have to do with a son being redeemed as we're going to read in, in a little bit. But the story is about two sons. And as we get to reading this, we're going to find out that there's two sons in here and they're both dealing with identity issues. They're both dealing with identity issues. And so, one son doesn't really know who he is, is trying to find himself, and so he runs into the world, right? And, and he, he, he blows this, and he just, he messes up all his stuff, and, and he's just searching in the things of the world for his identity. The other son is at the house, because he stays home, 
as we're going to read in a minute. And, but he's trying to do everything to please his dad. And, you know, he, he's trying to slave away day by day and trying to be extra good. And, try to find, and he's trying to find his identity in that and being extra good. And so, but what we realize is that both sons are actually lost. And so, again, like I said, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a backstory. What I mean by backstory is Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. And so what happens is that Jesus is sitting at the table. Uh, this is the Kevin version, okay? So he's sitting at the table, and it says that he's sitting at the table with taxpayers and sinners. Uh, so what that means, if we were talking about today, right, right now, Jesus was sitting with, let's just say he was sitting with a bunch of racist dudes and a couple prostitutes and a couple ISIS members. Like, the, I think those were pretty bad, right? In our society, those would be pretty bad. And, but what we have to realize is that taxpayers, okay, in the Jewish culture, were, they were the scum of the earth. Like, they were literally hated. That's why, that's why I'm making this, you know, uh, I'm trying to illustrate this and paint this picture for you guys because taxpayers were extremely hated by the Jews. They were, I mean, they were lower than the dirt. The reason being is because they were helping the Romans, okay? And so the Jews absolutely hated them. Taxpayers would pretty much rob their own people. Um, tax collectors, I'm sorry. Thank you, thank you, tax collectors. And so, uh, <laughs> so funny. Uh, so anyways, it's really, really important to understand that, that they really could not stand the tax collectors. So uh, I want you guys to, to understand that. So Jesus is here. And he's sitting at the table with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors. And, and the Pharisees and, and these people of the law were upset. Okay, check this out. They were upset with Jesus because he was sitting with them. And he was just conversating with them and he was fellowshipping with them, right? And they were just sitting down together around the table eating. And so they're angry. And so what you have to understand that when Jesus starts in Luke um, 15, and when he starts, because there's um, two parables or maybe even three. Uh, in Luke 15, it talks about the lost coin. Uh, and uh, it talks about the shepherd and, and the hundred and one being lost, right? And the he leaves the 99. Um, so there's actually three parables, but what you have to understand is that he's directing it at the Pharisees. He's not just talking to the tax collectors. It says, you know what? I'll go ahead and read it um, just, just for the sake of getting this, this uh, important background. Uh, verse 1 says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. That's verse 1. Verse 2, This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, or upset, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. Verse 3 says, In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. And that's where, that's where I'm trying to give you this background. See, Jesus is talking, in, he, he's, he is saying these parables in response to the Pharisees. In response of that, spirit of religiousness because that's what it was it was a spirit of religiousness it was a spirit of we are great we are high okay we do all of this we uphold the law we are perfect we are blameless they are not 
Because in a sense, that's the spirit of religiousness. I'm better than you because I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do that. And you do. So that means I'm better than you. And that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is we are all saved by grace, period, period. We're all saved by grace. And this isn't a hyper grace. It really isn't. I'm not talking about hyper grace. I'm talking about just the grace of God that saved us all. So, but this religious spirit, you know, in the Pharisees, it couldn't be that simple to them. Okay, they couldn't understand it. It was too simple. No, they, they just would not accept it. And they were angry. They were upset that he was sitting, you know, with all these sinners. Yet they felt like, well, here's this prophet of God. Why are we not invited into the table? Why are we invited to sit and eat with this, you know, great prophet? And so they were upset. And so that's the background that we have. And Jesus starts talking about parables. And so I want to I read to you guys uh, the, the story of the prodigal son, but it's going to be a little different because we're going to be focusing on the other son, on the son who actually stayed home and was trying to do, you know, go above and beyond to please his father, uh, but really he was lost. So let's read. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11. Okay, it says, Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. I'm going to stop right there. That's verse 12. <laughs> the reason I'm going to stop is because when you read it in the amplified version, it actually says that he asked inappropriately. And I really like that word. So he was asking for his inheritance and his father wasn't even dead. Like his father was still alive. He was probably in great health, uh, but he wanted his inheritance already. Like, you know, that was inappropriate. Like he's pretty much burying his dad. Like, hey, give me what's mine. I don't care. You know, uh, it used to be yours. Yes, you're still alive, but I want it now. You know, and so it was actually an inappropriate thing. And especially because he was the younger brother. Okay. All right, let's continue. Uh, verse 13, shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. Again, he was trying to find his identity in the world. You know, he was trying to find his identity in the world. So verse 14 with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him, and he sent him out to feed the pigs. All right, let's stop right there. Verse 15. Again, we have to understand who he's talking to. He's talking to uh, the Pharisees, okay? So they're extremely religious people. And so when Jesus says he's going to, this, this man was so hungry and desperate that he asked and begged a farmer to feed his pigs. What the Jewish people immediately think about is, oh my gosh, that's absolutely disgusting. That is horrible. Like that would be the worst of the worst. I mean, they would rather die than to be seen and feeding unclean animals. Because to the Jews, these pigs were unclean animals. They did not eat pigs, okay? So, yes, they missed out on all the bacon and eggs. Like, they didn't eat bacon, all right? They didn't eat any pigs. So, 
for them, when Jesus is telling them this parable, their faces were probably shocked. They're probably like, you know, their jaws dropped. Wait a minute. Jesus, did you say that he was actually going to feed pigs? Because that is something just dishonorable among the Jews. It was something that was, you know, horrible. It was a horrible job. And it was pretty much it was above them. They would never want to do that job. All right. So let's keep going. Uh, verse 16, the son was so famished, so hungry, or so starving, he was willing to eat, even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. All right. If you don't know what slop is, it's, a, it's pretty disgusting. It's just like a bunch of leftover junk. I mean, because pigs pretty much will eat anything. I mean, they'll, they'll eat plastic and they'll eat trash and they'll eat shoe. I mean, they're like goats. They'll eat everything. And so slop is just a mixture of this, you know, nasty leftover stuff. And he was so hungry, the Bible says, that he wanted to eat it. Like he, he just, he was so hungry that he really, really wanted to fill his stomach with this slop. So let's keep reading. Humiliated, verse 17, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. Verse 19, I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Verse 20. So the young son set off for home from a long distance. I love this verse. Verse 20. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. I love this because it's painting a picture of the father. The father wasn't inside the house wondering what happened to my son. No, the father was outside of the house by the road overlooking the land, trying to find out where his son was, trying to see if maybe his son pops up. And so when his son actually starts coming over, you know, I imagine like a horizon, starts coming over the horizon, the father sees him from way over there and, and he rushes to meet him. You know, and I love this because this is a picture of the father, of our God, of our father. And, th and this is the picture like I was preaching the other Sunday uh, last week, that God is easy to find. Like he, he, he was trying to make it as easy as possible for you to find him. And so the father is not inside the house with his, with his you know, arms crossed saying, well, if he comes, then he comes. If he doesn't, no, he's literally, he's literally pursuing us. You know, he's out there waiting for us. He's looking to, to see us take those few steps and then he's going to run to us and hug us and embrace us. All right, verse 21. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be 
the father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. I love that. I love that. I absolutely love that. You see, like I told you, there were two sons and they both had these identity issues and they both were trying to find out who they were. And so this son is literally trying to make his identity less than, right? He's like, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just be, let me be one of your servants. And, and he hasn't even finished. That's what I love about the Passion Translation because it leaves like a little dash. Like it makes it seem like, the, the, you know, there's writing, there's writing, and then boom, there's a dash because the father cuts him off. The, see, the father doesn't even allow him to finish saying that he's less than. Instead, the father meets him and immediately starts to build him up, immediately starts to transform him, immediately starts to tell him who he is, that he's a son of the father. You know, and let's read, let's read, because it gets even better. Uh, I love this. So the father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. 22, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe. Check this out. I love this. Bring me the best robe, my very own robe. I love that. I wish, you know what, I wish it would say, quick, bring me the best robe. And as a matter of fact, just bring my robe. Because <laughs> that's what the father was saying. Bring the best robe in the house. Matter of fact, bring my robe. Don't just bring any robe. Bring my robe. I love that. Because when you come to the father, the father doesn't just clothe you with anything. He clothes you with himself. And I love that. I mean, it's just powerful. It really is. Because like I, like I was saying earlier, it's the grace of God. It's his love for us that saves us. It's his love that, you know, makes him run to us and clothe us with himself. It's just amazing. So let's keep reading. Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Mm, that's good. So not only does the father cut him off when he's trying to bring up this fake identity, right? He's trying to say, well, I'm just, I'm not worthy. I'm just going to be this, you know, no. The father immediately cuts him off. The father loves him. The father says, bring the best robe. No, not just the best robe, bring my robe. And then he says, bring me the ring, the seal of sonship. Why? Why? Because he was trying to make himself lower than what he actually was. See, he didn't think he was worthy. And there's a lot of Christians out there that don't think that they're worth it. You know, they don't think that they're worthy. You know, there's so many Christians dealing with depression and anxiety and, and suicidal thoughts because they don't think they're worth it. They don't think, you know, that anybody cares or they don't think that God really does love them that much. And that's what this son was doing. He was saying, I'm not worthy, you know, I'm just, and immediately God cuts that off. Immediately God, the father cuts that off and says, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. Go bring me the robe. Bring my robe. Then bring the, the ring, the seal of sonship. Because if they had, if he had that ring on, when the rest of the servants came, they would see a son. They wouldn't see a beggar anymore. Okay, they didn't see a beggar. They saw a son. And so it's, it's just an amazing picture because I just imagine that. I really do. I imagine that because the Bible says that 
that God, that it says Jesus came for the sick, right? And it says that there's an immense party in heaven when just one is saved. And so I just imagine that. Like, I just imagine all the angels sitting there and then a new soul, right? A, a new person that says, okay, I don't know you, but I want to know you. Jesus, I believe, save me. And I just imagine in the spirit, the father, you know, God coming, you know, bringing that robe and that ring and then the angel seeing him as a son and then an entire party just takes place in heaven. Like, it's just beautiful. Like, that's what he's showing us. <laughs> that is what he's showing us. What happens every time somebody is saved? See, the servants, they didn't see the son as a beggar. Immediately, the father gets in between you know, clothes him, puts the ring on him, puts the best shoes on him, and then he brings him into the house to have a party. And I just love that because that's what the Father does with us. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 23. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Overflowing joy. That's awesome. Now, this is where we start to see the other son's attitude. This is where we start to see the identity issues in, his, in the other son. You know, because I believe, you know, unfortunately, you know, in the church, especially the church in America, but in a lot of churches, uh, we see that, you know, there's a spirit of religiousness that tries to come into a church a lot of times. And just so I, and I'm going to break that down for you. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what that looks like. Because the spirit of religiousness is really a spirit of I'm better than you because I don't do X, Y, or Z or because I do X, Y, and Z, Right. And so there's a story in the Bible. I encourage you to go look for it. I'm not going to even tell you the scripture. <laughs> I encourage you to uh, at least Google it. But there's a scripture in the Bible. I'm going to give you the Kevin version. But it's amazing because uh, Jesus, what he's trying to tell us is that, uh, okay, here we go. So, sorry, I lost it for a minute. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. All right, so here we go. Uh, he, he's telling the religious leaders, again, the Pharisees. And he says, there was two people and they went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, another, a tax collector. Maybe, you, maybe you're already knowing where I'm going with this, but it says, the tax collector said, or I mean, the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like some of these sinners, prostitutes, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I fast and that I give a, a tenth of everything I own. And it says that the tax collector didn't even get close to the altar. He was pretty much, he was all the way back in the back of the church. And it says that he didn't even look to heaven because he just didn't, you know, he just, he knew he was a sinner. And so it says the tax collector just looked towards the floor and it says that he just pounded his chest and said, God, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, this is what he said, who do you think left vindicated? Who do you think left blessed? And he says, truly I tell you, the tax collector, not the Pharisee. For whoever humbles himself, 
will be exalted, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And so that's what, that, honestly, that is what the spirit of religiousness is. It's a spirit that comes on people or, you know, and it just makes them feel like they're better than somebody else because they fast or they pray or whatever the case is. And so you have to understand that these Pharisees were the real deal. Like they did pray all the time. They were in church all the time. They did uh, pray fast. You know, they, they held the law. They didn't work on the Sundays. They didn't eat certain food. I mean, they had tons and tons of man-made laws that they followed. So in their eyes, they were perfect. And so Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were upset that these new baby Christians who were sinners and tax collectors were sitting with Jesus and they weren't. So let's keep reading. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. Verse 26. So he called over one of the servants and asked, What's going on? Verse 27. The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. Verse 28. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. Verse 29, the son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you ever given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. So we're going to stop right there. So here we see the identity of the older brother. So the identity of the older brother is he's stuck in, if I can do everything perfectly right, I'm going to be loved and I'm going to get stuff. Right? So his, his mentality, his uh, identity wasn't found in that he was a son. It was found in that if I just do everything I'm supposed to do, if I just go to church every Sunday, if I go to Fat Tuesday, if I go to Thursday night, if I go to Monday night prayers, I'm good. If I just read three times a week, if I just spend at least one hour a day in the Bible, I'm good. I'm done. If I just do everything I'm supposed to do right, you know, I just got to make sure in order for me to be blessed, in order for me. And that was his attitude. He just thought, you know, I got to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to, it says he uses the word, uh, where is it? Slaved. It says he's slaved. He says, uh, verse 29, the son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you? Cause that's what his identity was in. If I can just work super, 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 super hard, I'll get the stuff that I want. I'll get you know, if, if I just, you know, do everything right, everything's going to be perfect and I'm going to have the best car and I'm going to have the best house and nothing ever going to go wrong with me. I'll be good. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. 
the Pharisees who thought they were perfect. Okay, let's keep reading. But look, verse 30, it says, but look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. Verse 31, the father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. And so what is God saying to the Pharisees? What was Jesus saying to the Pharisees? It's crazy because the, in the story, the older brother's angry and he refuses to go in to the house, to the party, to the, great, the place of great joy because of the anger, the resentment he felt towards his younger brother. You know, and a lot of times, Christians can be the same way. You know, well, why does he get that car? I mean, I bet you he doesn't even tithe. It happens. I promise you, it happens. And people get upset. Why is he blessed? Well, why is that everything okay with them? Why, 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 why? And, and their identity is caught up in what they have and who they, you know, what, what kind of things they have and how blessed they are. And I love what the father says because he says, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. Everything. And so what, what the father was saying, what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees was, you have access. Why are you angry that this person who was a sinner now is saved and knows Jesus and is sitting with me at this table and I'm eating with them? Why are you angry? Why are you upset? You have access. Everything that the father owns in his kingdom, you have access to. And, that, and, and it's crazy because even the Pharisees, Jesus is telling even the Pharisees, you have access. Why are you angry? Why do you feel some, to some type of way for, you know, your younger brothers and sisters? You know, I'm going to share this story with you guys. Um, you know, I was kind of uh, not upset, but I was really taken back one time uh, several years ago, maybe... Um, must have been about six years ago. Um, so anyways, I, you know, I was in, you know, in church and doing what I always do. You know, I love God. I love the scriptures. I love the word. I like talking to people. Uh, so I was just talking to people at work. And, uh, and I would tell them the scriptures. And then what happened was I would start to pray with them. And I would say, hey, you know, you need prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, can you pray for my wife? And what I started doing was I said, well, let's pray now because, you know, honestly, I, sometimes I just forget, okay? I'm human. I forget stuff. So instead, what I do is I just pray right there and then so I don't forget, right? And so I started doing that more and more. And I'll never forget this, this Christian. Uh, I won't say his name or anything like that, but this Christian, he, um, he'd been in the faith for a long time, probably about 30 years or so. Um, at least 20 to 25 years. So let's say anywhere from 20 to 30 year Christian. And he looked at me and he said something I'll never, ever forget in all my life. He said, 
uh, we were talking about the word and, you know, I'm a little passionate, you know, <laughs> I'm a little passionate because I just, I, I, I can't help it. I love it, you know? And so, um, and he, I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, well, you're still new. He said, well, you're, you're, you know, you, you're, you're still new, you know, you're, you're still new to the faith. So, you know, pretty much what he was saying was, yes, you're so on fire for God, but it's because you're so new to the faith. I guess he thought I was like a, you know, one year Christian. I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't even matter. Even if it was a one week old Christian, you know, for all of those who have been coming to church for years and years and years, you know, we shouldn't be putting down anybody that's on fire for God. We should be saying, yes, amen. Let's encourage them. I want some more fire, you know? And I, and I made up my mind right there and then. And I said, well, that's not, you know, that's, that's not going to be me, God. Like, I want to grow closer and closer and closer to God every single day, year after year after year, until finally I just step one day right into heaven. You know, and, and it's a smooth transition because I'm even closer to God. But his attitude really caught me off guard because this was a Christian that had been in church for over 20 years. And he said, yeah, but you're, you know, you're, you're, you're new. Just wait, just wait. Um, and, you know, in my mind, I'm like, wait for what? Like, so that's how, you know, Christianity works. You get on fire and then you just grow cold the rest of the years, you know? And so, but it really was a spirit of religiousness. You know, it really was a, a, a spirit of anger. You know, he, that person was just a little angry, just, you know, that I, I guess that I was just passionate for God and people were asking for me to pray for them and stuff and not him. I don't know. But the thing is that instead of us, you know, acting a certain way towards our, you know, any new Christians, you know, we need to be encouraging. We need to be, you know, sweeping them up like the father did, you know, and, and having, a, and, and, and I love this. And we need to be um, not just able, but we need to be uh, wanting to, we need to be excited to enter that joyful party. You know, the older brother, he was too angry to even enjoy the party. And it was a feast. I mean, they had a huge calf. And, and I mean, I'm talking food everywhere. Everybody was having a great time. But he was so angry and resentful that he wouldn't even go in. You know, and so we can't. Today, I just feel like letting you guys know that as a church, I want to encourage you. Okay, I want to encourage you to love like God loves I want to encourage you to be like the Father. I, you know, I was praying today before we started, and I was saying, God, help me to, to speak out of your heart today. I wanted to preach out of the Father's heart because Jesus knew the Father's heart. He was the only one that knew his heart. And he was painting a picture for us that God cares, like he cared for the person that was way lost and he cared for the Pharisees too. So what does that mean? God cares for the sinner out there right now that doesn't know anything about Jesus, uh, the gangbanger, the prostitute, the, you know, whatever. And he cares about the Christian who's been in church for 30 years. And I don't want us to ever have a, like, and I'm not even preaching this because, like, I felt a certain way or I just saw something on Facebook, you know. Honestly, I'm just preaching this because 
it's been on my heart for a while now, and I studied it. I think I studied this like last year, but it's been on my heart. And I've just been waiting for the right season, and uh, for some reason, I've, the God just put it on my heart. So I just want you guys to understand, during this season, when there's so many people hurting and so many people need Jesus, we need to have the heart of the Father. We need to understand where our identity is. We need to understand that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We need to understand that we have access, that God is waiting to throw his robe on you and waiting to throw uh, the ring of sonship on you, the seal of sonship on you. You know, we need to understand that, again, like I said, whether you're a 30-year Christian or a two-week Christian, you have access. And I guess that's what I want to end with tonight. I want everybody to know that God loves you. Like I said, I'm going to repeat it one more time. Whether you're a two-week Christian or a 30-year Christian, you have access to the Father. Um, I guess I'm going to say one more story. It's not even my story, but I want to share it because it's powerful. Uh, Brother Bo shared a story a while back and he was, <laughs> he was saying that he taught, you know, this baby church. Like, you know, he just, you know, he had just got this church together and he just started it up and, you know, people were going and, and he just taught them the word. That was it. He said, start reading the word, read your word, read your word, read your word. And I'm hoping I get this right, but uh, there was a little kid or, or it might be a baby, I can't remember, that had passed away. And... um these people came to uh, some of the members of the church that Brother Bo was a part of. And they said, help, our, our baby's gone. Like our, our little kid or our baby's gone. And so they immediately started to pray. They immediately started to open the word. They immediately start, check this out. I love this. They immediately, and these were baby Christians. They immediately knew they had access to the Father. They didn't go and start trying to call Brother Bo and, Brother Bo, come and, and please lay your hands. And No. They immediately went to the Bible. They immediately start praying. And that little baby uh, or little boy here, uh, came back to life. And, the, and the, you know, the breath of God went back into his lungs. But he, what, they didn't go and run after you know, the 30-year the Christian like Brother Bo or 20-year Christian like Brother Bo, however many years. No. They immediately, you know, knew the word of God and they started praying in Jesus' name and they knew they had access. I love that. I love that because you have access. The word of God says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit, that same power that resurrects the dead to life lives in you. And right now during this time of, you know, the pandemic and coronavirus and a lot of people can't even hang out together. A lot of people aren't doing life together. You need to know wherever your walk is with God, whether you're a two-week born-again Christian or 30-year born-again Christian, you have access to the Father. That you can pray to the Father and he'll throw his arms around you and kiss you and love you and clothe you with his identity. All right.
So I love you guys. I really pray that uh, you got something out of tonight. I was kind of a little bit over the place, all over the place, but I hope that that makes sense, especially as we're going into July 4th and Independence Day. I hope that you all understand that your identity is in Christ Jesus, that your identity, your sonship is in the Father and he loves you. And there's nothing you can ever do to make him love you any less. And there's nothing you can ever do to make him love you any more. He loves you that much. So we love you guys. God bless you. I'm going to pray and then we'll close out. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love, God, that covers just a multitude of sin. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus, Lord, that saves us. Thank you for your grace, God. We thank you, Father, that you love us in such a way that we don't even understand, God. You love us in such a way, God, that you gave your only son for us. Your only son, God, you gave it up. You gave him for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us the privilege, God, to be called sons and daughters. Father, help us to walk in our true identity. Help us to walk in Jesus, God. Help us to walk in in loving you, Father. We love you so much. We thank you for this word. God, we ask that you would put, um, purposefully put people in our paths, God, this week, that we may be able to preach the gospel, that we may be able to encourage, that we may be able to plant seeds of love and hope and faith, God. And we ask right now that you would bless, God, all those hurting hearts, that you would bless, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would go right now and comfort the brokenhearted. Holy Spirit, would you just go forward and would you touch their hearts and would you fill them? And God, I ask in the name of Jesus, God, your word says whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, God. So I ask you, Father, that you would loose supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding, God, for those hearts in mourning today. Father, we love them. And we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys and we hope to see you next week.